0: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com hi i'm eric and this is a bonus episode of listen to sleep slow quiet stories to help you fall asleep One of the unexpected perks of hosting this podcast has been the friendships I've developed with other podcasters. Zoe Brown does a podcast called The Airing Cupboard, and on it, she writes and records the extraordinary stories of ordinary people sent to her by her listeners. They are intimate, personal stories about the moments where life suddenly changes and we are never the same again. And she records them in the airing cupboard in her house in the English countryside. They're great stories, wonderfully told. I can't recommend her podcast enough. If you aren't already a listener, go to theairingcupboard.org and check it out, or search for it in your favorite podcast app. There's also a link in the show notes for this episode. Recently, I asked her if she would be a guest artist on the podcast, and I was so excited when she said yes. She picked a touching French story that is absolutely perfect with her beautiful accent. So, without further ado, here is Zoe Brown with tonight's bonus episode.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to read for you today. The text I have chosen is from Alphonse Daudet. He was a French writer, and he published a series of short stories in 1869 called Les Lettres de Montmoulin, or The Letters from My Windmill. And he tells about his life, having relocated from Paris into Provence in an old mill. I have chosen one of the story today because it reminds me of my childhood. My little brother used to listen to a tape in French and he would be drawing for hours on the kitchen table, listening to those stories. And it was told in the beautiful Provençal accent. Master Cornille's Secret. Francais Mamaille, an old fife player who comes and spends the evening with me now and then over a cup of mulled wine, narrated to me the other night a little village drama which my mill witnessed some twenty years ago. The old man's story touched me, and I shall try to tell it over again just as I heard it. Imagine for a moment, dear readers, that you are seated in front of a pot of fragrant wine, and that it is an old five-player who is talking to you. Our countryside, my good sir, was not always the dead and songless place that it is today. At one time, there was a great milling trade, and from thirty miles around, the people of the mass brought us their wheat to grind. All about the village, the hills were covered with windmills. Right and left, your eye fell upon arms revolving in the mistral, above the top of the pine trees, upon endless numbers of little donkeys laden with sacks, trotting uphill and down dale along the roads. And the whole week through, it was a pleasure to hear on our hilltop the cracking of the whips, the flapping of the arm sails, and the gee-up of the miller's boys. On Sundays, whole parties of us used to go up to the mills where the millers treated us to Musca wine. Their wives were like queens decked up in all the bravery of their laces, scarves and gold crosses. I used to bring my fife and until black night there was dancing and farandoles. These mills, you see, were the joy and the wealth of a countryside. Unfortunately, some Frenchmen from Paris conceived the idea of establishing a big steam-driven mill on the Tarascon Road. There's always a craze for anything new. People got into the habit of sending their corn to the steam mills and the poor windmills were left without any work to do. For some time they tried to struggle on, but steam proved the stronger, and one after the other, alas, they had to close down. No more little donkeys, the handsome miller's wives sold their gold crosses. No more Musca wine, no more farandols. The mistral might blow as hard as it would, the arm sales did not stir. Then, one fine day, the parish ordered all the poor old tumble down mills to be leveled to the ground, and in their place were planted vines and olive trees. Yet, amid the general ruin, one mill had held out and continued to turn bravely on its hill, in defiance of the steam milling company. This was Master Cornille's mill, the very one sir where we are putting in the evening at present. Master Cornille was an old miller who had lived amid flour for sixty years and whose whole heart was in his trade. The erection of the steam driven mill nearly drove him mad. For a whole week, he was seen running about the village, gathering crowds around him and shouting at the top of his voice that they wanted to poison Provence with the milling company's flour. Those scoundrels to make bread use steam, which is an invention of the devil, he would say, while I work with the mistral, with the mountain wind, which are God's own breath. Thus did he wax eloquent in praise of the windmills, but no one listened to him. Then, in his bitter anger, the old man shut himself up in his mill and left alone like a wild beast. He refused to keep by him even his granddaughter, Vivette, a child of 15, who since her parents' death, had no one left to her in the world except her grandpa. The poor child had to earn a living and to hire herself out here and there in the farms to work at the harvest, the silkworms and the olive gathering. And yet, the grandfather seemed to be very fond of the child. Many a time did he walk ten miles in the full heat of the day to go and see her at the ma where she was working, and he would spend whole hours looking at her with tears in his eyes. In the countryside, people thought that the old miller had sent Vivette away out of stinginess, and it brought him no credit that he allowed his granddaughter to wander from one farm to another, exposed to the rudeness of shepherds and to all the vexations which young people in service must suffer. It was also thought, very unseemly that a man with a good name like Master Corny, who until then had shown self-respect, should now go down the street like a real gypsy, barefoot, with holes in his cap and his waistband hanging in tutters. Indeed, on Sundays, when we saw him come into the church, we felt a shame on his account, we all folk, and Corny realized this so well that he no longer dared to take his seat in the church warden's pew. He always remained at the back of the church, near the holy waterfront, with the paupers. There was something in Master Corny's life which wasn't at all clear. It was long since anyone in the village had taken him any corn, and yet the sales of his mill continued to revolve busily, just as in the old days. On an evening we would meet the old miller on the road, urging his donkey laden with heavy sacks of flour. Good evening, Master Corny, the peasants would say, as busy as ever with the milling. As busy as ever, my lads, the old man would answer briskly, there is no lack of work, thank the Lord. Then, if anyone asked him where the dick and so much work could come from, he would put his fingers to his lips and answer solemnly, mums the word, I'm working for the export trade. No one, ever got more than that out of him. As for getting your nose inside his mill, it was out of the question. Not even little Vivette was allowed to go in. Passers-by always saw the door closed, the great sails whirling round, the old donkey grazing on the platform and a big, starved-looking cat sunning itself on the window sill with an evil look in his eye. All this savoured of mystery and set people stone wagging. Everyone had his own theory about Master Corneal's secret, but the common report was that the mill contained even more sacks of gold than sacks of flour. Yet, At long last, everything was discovered, and this is how it came about. While piping my tunes for the young people to dance to, I discovered one fine day that the eldest of my boys and little Vivette had fallen in love with each other. At heart, I was none so ill-pleased, for when all is said and done, we held the name of Cornille in great honor. Besides, I should have been delighted to see that pretty little sparrow of Vivette trotting about the house. So, I decided to settle the business at once and went up the hill to have a word or two with the grandfather. Ah, the old devil. You should have seen the reception I had. There was no getting him to open his door even. I stated my business as well as I could, through the keyhole, and all the time I was speaking, that villainous half-starved cat kept hissing like a demon above my head. The old man didn't give me the time to finish what I had to say. Very rudely, he shouted to me to go back to my piping. If I was in a hurry to see my son married, I was free to go along to the milling company and look for girls there. You imagine how my blood boiled to hear these ill-natured words, but I had wit enough to keep myself under control, and leaving this old madman to his millstones, I came home to inform the young people of my discomfiture. These poor lambs couldn't believe it. They begged me to let them go up the hill together to speak to the grandfather. I couldn't find it in my heart to refuse, and off my lovers went. When they got to the top, Master Cornel had just gone out. The door was securely locked, but the old man had departed, leaving his ladder outside. And this, at once, gave the youngsters the idea of getting in by the window, just to see what was inside this mill that there was so much bother about. Strange to say, the milling room was empty. Not one sack, not a grain of corn, not a sign of flour on the walls, nor on the cobwebs. No suspicion even of that good warm smell of crushed wheat which scents the air inside the mill. The main axle was covered with dust and the big, starved-looking cat was lying on it, fast asleep. The downstairs room bore that same appearance of poverty and neglect. A wretched bed, a few rags, a chunk of bread on one of the steps of the stair, and, in a corner, three or four sacks, which had burst and allowed their contents to run out. Broken plaster and limestone. So, that was Master Garniel's secret. It was that rubbish which he drove about the roads of an evening to save the honour of the mill and let people think that it still produced flour. Poor old mill. And poor Corny, long since the milling company had robbed them of their last customer. The sales continued to turn, but the millstone had nothing to grind. The youngsters came back in tears and told me what they had seen At this story, my heart filled. Without losing a minute, I ran to the neighbors. I told them the fact in a few words, and we agreed that we should at once carry to Cornille's mill all the wheat which we had available. No sooner said than done. The whole village set out, and we arrived at the top of the hill with a procession of donkeys laden with corn, and real corn it was. The mill stood wide open. In front of the door, Master Corny, seated on a sack of limestone, was weeping, with his head between his hands. He had just come home and realized that during his absence, his mill had been entered, and his sorry secret discovered. I may as well die now, we heard him say. The mill is dishonoured. And his sobs nearly broke our hearts while he called his mill by all sorts of pet names and spoke to it as to a real person. At this moment, the donkey reached the platform and we all started to shout at the top of our voice, just as in the heyday of the milling trade. Ho, oh, there, the mill! Ho, oh, Master Cornell And the sacks began to pile up in front of the door, and the fine yellow corn to scatter on the ground on all sides. Master Cornell stared and stared. He had taken some of the corn in the hollow of his old hand and he said between laughter and tears it's corn dear lord real corn let me look at it let me look at it then turning towards us ah i knew you would come back to me these steam millers they all thieves we wanted to carry him shoulder high to the village. No, no, my lads, let me first go and feed my mill. Just think, it's long since he had anything to bite on. And it brought tears to our eyes to see the poor old man running, hither and thither, ripping up the sacks, looking after his millstone as it began to crush the corn and the fine dust from the wheat rose to the ceiling. In fairness to ourselves, let it be said that from that day, we never let the old miller want for work. Then, one morning, Master Corny died, and the arms of our last windmill stopped turning. And this time, for everyone. I wish you all a very good night. Sleep well.